Welcome to episode 286 of Crack the Customer Code, where coffee is for closers. Adam, when I say sales, who do you think of? Anthony Anna Reno. <laughs> well, it so happens. Well, him and Zig Ziglar, I got to say, but I think <laughs> I think Anthony's going to be okay with me uh, putting those two names together. <laughs> um, Anthony is really one of the leading experts on sales. And that could mean a lot of different things to different people. But to you and me, it means somebody who is doing sales the right way and teaching others how to really connect with people not and provide value, not, a, you know, how do I get you in this car today <laughs> type of sales. So I'm really excited because I think we knew that he would be a great person to talk to, but boy, we could have talked to him for three days and barely scratched the surface about what he knows. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was, you know, we've had a lot of people that teach sales and you and I know a ton of people that are in sales and Anthony really is, he's built an incredible yeah, business and thought leadership, which uh, forgive the term there, uh, you know, brand around his, I'd say his original thinking. And I don't know mm -hmm. that it's, uh, original per se in the in the history of sales but it's original as we sort of get into in the interview because it's back to basics it's not getting distracted it's applying these the principles of value to this digital age to this linkedin age and mm -hmm. you know un understanding that you know while the mechanisms have changed and you know, obviously the landscape has changed some things have not changed right but and he Okay. Oops. I was just going to say he also gets into, uh, you know, the discussion of, of how sales impacts the customer experience one way or the other. And I think that's something everybody needs to remember. And he gets it. He understands that it's not just about the transaction. It's about the building of that big relationship. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah, me too. And I'm really excited that you're reading the bio because Anthony's done so much. <laughs> and this, this is barely scratches the surface. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We are thrilled to have Anthony on the show today. Anthony Anarino is an international speaker, best-selling author of two books, and a sales leader. He is the managing editor, or I'm sorry, managing director of B2B Sales Coach and Consultancy, a coaching and consulting firm he started in 2007. He has worked with and spoken to some of the largest and most successful brands in the world. Anthony has been named one of the 50 most influential people in sales by Top Sales World and was also named one of the 25 most influential people in sales and marketing by OpenView Partners. In addition to writing daily at The Sales Blog since 2010 and posting a daily video blog on YouTube, Anthony is also a contributing editor at Success Magazine and Think Sales Magazine. He also writes an occasional column for Selling Power Magazine and Forbes Magazine. Anthony's first book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, released in October 2016, is a national bestseller. His second book, The Lost Art of Closing, Winning the Ten Commitments That Drive Sales, was released on August 8th of 2017 and immediately shot up to number one in new releases in sales and selling. Anthony's books have already been translated into two forms of Chinese, Italian, 
Polish, Arabic, and Indonesian. Anthony, welcome. We are so happy you're here with us today. Anthony, welcome. We are so happy you're here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, super excited because Anthony, and I don't say this about many people, you literally seem to know like everything there is to know about sales. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you're, you're like, when I think of sales, I now think of you. You've done such a great job getting out there. But I want to hear a little bit about your background. How did you get started? I think the first sales job I really had, I was 15 and I had just left a job washing dishes and I found this place where they were making cold calls for Muscular Dystrophy Association to get people to do bike-a-thons. And I worked there for about two weeks and no one spoke to me. I mean, literally they gave me a script and left me alone. And uh, I left that job because I really wasn't sure what I was doing there in the first place. And I ended up at a skating rink, but that was my first sales job. And about two weeks after I left, they called and said, you're the only person we have that has a bike-a-thon going on anywhere in America, and we need you to come back. Oh, my gosh. And uh, <laughs> I was 15, though, and I was like, absolutely not. There's no way. I work at a skating rink. It was way more fun. <laughs> I, I ended up in the family business while I was uh, fronting a, a rock band as a kid, and then I went out to L.A., and I ended up working for a staffing firm out there. And I had a mentor who just noticed that all the accounts – being one for were being won by a guy that wears a suit and a ponytail down to his waist. And he couldn't understand, you know, how I was winning accounts that other people weren't winning. And one day he asked me and I told him, I just call people to see if they need anything and if I can help them. And I ask them to come out and meet with them. And some of them say yes. And then some of them have problems I can solve and they work with me. And uh, he said, I want you to cut your hair and go into full-time outside sales. I was 25 at the time. What I heard him say was, I want you to cut your hair and I want you to become an ac a psychopathic axe murderer uh, because, <laughs> I mean, the worst thing in the world to me was salespeople. But literally, my experience was really just car salespeople. So I didn't really know that in, in B2B, there's this tremendous amount of value creation and consultative selling and strategic selling. And there were all these things that were really, really interesting and fun. And and that I did get to go out and really help people produce results they couldn't produce without me. So that's my my own view of of sales is selling is something we're doing for someone and with someone uh, and trying to help them get a result that they can't get without us. And I think you do such a good job really reinforcing that message. And I've heard you speak and, you know, in your books and your blog, you talk about that idea of creating value almost as a partnership, as something that you're doing every step of the way with the person that you're selling to, essentially. And I'm curious because in today's world, people are losing trust in brands and their promises. They're turning to their networks more than their um, than the brands that are selling to them. So do you think it's becoming a little harder to really deliver that value and create that partnership in today's world specifically? I think it's the the challenge for most of us is we, we say things like, I want to be a trusted advisor mm -hmm. and I want to be consultative. And I think we have to take a step back and decide what that really means. I, I like the intention, but I continually tease sales audiences. You only need two things to be a trusted advisor. You need trust and you need advice. 
And if you don't have the advice, you're missing half of a recipe that only has two ingredients in the first place. So I think that the ability to help people get better results means that you have to be really thoughtful. You have to be really smart. You have to do your homework on the kinds of things that are going to impact their industry. You have to understand how to get along with different people who are going to have very different needs and objectives when you're trying to work with them. And you have to be able to diffuse, you know, tense situations and deal with tough issues. And I think that that's a big change from the time where a salesperson might have walked in, handed off their product, told you about features and benefits and left. You know, now I have to be there with you and we have to make sure that we're getting this major outcome. That's a difficult outcome to get. And when you think about this, if the outcome was easy to get, your client would already be getting that outcome. And if your competitor could deliver it for them, they'd already be delivering it. So most of the time we're, we're, we're focused on our resourcefulness and our initiative and our ability to work with people to move some obstacles. That's just a higher level skill set than has ever been required. And it's what, it's what a good general manager has. It's what a lot of people in business are really focused on. And I think that's the big shift. If you want to be successful, you've got to be somebody who can really solve challenges. You know, I find it so fascinating how we have so much access to each other now. You know, we can look each other up online. We can do all these things. And I can't tell you how many horrible sales calls I get <laughs> because yeah. they go on, they find me somehow, but they don't do one second of research. They don't do one quick review of my LinkedIn profile to realize that what they're selling me, I actually do, or that we're not a huge company with like a huge IT department with many needs, you know? (laughs) And so I'm, I'm just wondering like, what sort of, what, what do you think is happening with that? And what are, what recommendations do you have to sales teams about how to use that information, use the connections that we have now and the access without doing that. (laughs) This is the part where you go, Anthony, you're schizophrenic because uh, (laughs) I use all of the social tools Mm -hmm. and people think, well, you're a social seller, but I'm not a social seller in the same way that other people think it's about connecting online. And I do some of that too, but I, I think that there's something that's going on right now that's really disruptive. And I'll, I'll share a story, uh, Jeannie, just in, in, in a response to what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, a note from a rep who said, you would really like the salesperson who keeps sending me these emails because he's so persistent. And I sent her back a note saying, there is no salesperson. Uh, all of those notes are automated and <laughs> there's no personalization. And the fact that you click on anything means that you get the next email in the sequence, which is why this person knows nothing about you, isn't customizing the email at all. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because when I started selling, what we had to do research was uh, Business First Journal and the Columbus Dispatch mm-hmm. and your network. And I mean, that's all you had to go on. Now we have LinkedIn where all of the information about you is self-disclosed. I mean, you typed it all in. So Mm -hmm. how do I know what's important to you? You typed it in for me. So I know what you're thinking about. I know who you're connected to. I know what groups you're in. I know what you tell me you're interested in. And I'm thinking back two decades ago, if somebody would have said there's going to be a place where you can go in the future and all of the information about your prospects is going to be there for you. And all you have to do is go on and look at it for free whenever you want. I would have said, where is this fantasy land you speak of? You know, <laughs> And now it's Facebook and Twitter. We can find all this out. So the research part and understanding who your client is, 
that's easier than ever. And and I, I tend to get two groups of people. The young guys and girls really, really like the idea of we're going to use social for everything. And that's not the right answer. You need to use still referrals, still networking, still cold calling, still using every tool available. But then we got the gray haired guys and the gray haired ladies who look at this and say, you know, I don't really want to be on LinkedIn. Uh, well, you don't really get to decide that because now what's happened is we're looking at our clients and they're looking back at us. And for for one business I own, I want a one million dollar account specifically because the stakeholder that I sent an email to and I asked him this question, why did you decide to meet with me? And he said, because I was able to look at your background and determine very quickly that you could probably help me with the kind of challenges I'm having. Mm. So whether you want to be there or not, when they go out and look for you, if they can't see who you are and how you create value for other people, it's very easy to just ignore you and move on to somebody who does look like what what they're looking for when they think about who do they want to bring on their team to help them. Hmm. That's really powerful. And I think that your point about it's not really up to you anymore. Um, it reminds me of people who contact me and they say, well, I'm out of a job now and I need to network. And I'm like, that's how you're starting this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and they're it's not seeing the, the, it as the, building relationships. The best, yeah. The best time to plant a tree you know, was a hundred years ago. Right. right? And right. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're so far behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to dig into the LinkedIn thing a little bit because you, you from the, on the receiving end, there's this just ubiquity that, you know, we sort of referred to already. And I, I was, uh, we, we owned a retail store for like 10 years and we saw the same thing with job applications, monster and all these things made it so easy to apply that we had to filter through the noise. So just having a cover letter was like the first thing. Like, I mean, we wouldn't even look at the ones without cover letters because we needed some heuristic or something. So for you know, all of us, you were getting all this just canned stuff and the spam and all the stuff on LinkedIn. So how as somebody who's cold calling or cold emailing or cold LinkedIn-ing, if that's a verb, uh, you know, how do you cut through that noise? I, I think what's what's the big the big change right now, and I just posted something about this today, and I keep writing about it. The fact that we can automate things um, is interesting and it's useful. And the ability to augment what we do using technology is interesting and it's useful. But we have to think deeply about first principles and the deep truths of human relationships. Uh, my anniversary was Friday. I've been married for twenty two years. Happy anniversary. <laughs> if uh, if uh, I, you're going to send my wife a sympathy card, you congratulate me and send her the sympathy card. <laughs> right. Um, j just think if I were to say, I'm going to call the florist and say, listen, here's what I want you to do. Uh, our anniversary is September 20 the 9th. Every year from now on, just automate, send her a dozen roses. What, what's, what's wrong with that? I mean, it, it, it is, there's, it, I've said, listen, I don't, I, I have to check the box here and I have to send something. So I'll just check the box and send something. It, it, it is about human intimacy and trust and presence and all these other intangibles that are not going to lend themselves to automation over a long period of time. And I think there's a great reason to have automation to say, this is a communication I want to send to a lot of people. It's a one to many communication. But when we start talking about me trying to create a preference as the right person with the right ideas to help you with your business, then that one to many doesn't work as well. And now I have to start knowing something about you. And I have to say, Adam, I've looked at your business. 
we when we work with companies that look like yours, they tend to be faced with three or four challenges right now. And what I'd like to do is share with you some of the trends that we see and some of the questions that you and your management team are going to be charged with answering over the next 18 to 24 months. Um, I, I've got to tell you, this is about you and it's about what you need. And I'm trying to do this communication in a way where I can have a conversation because I want a relationship and relationships do not lend themselves to being automated very easily. And so there's this this thing that we have to do where we say this part of the relationship I can probably help technology help me with. But some of this, I have to be the right kind of human being. And trust is built on caring and caring is built on intimacy. And that means I know you, I understand you, I know how to help you, and I'm other-oriented enough to try to do that. And none of those things are going to be automated very easily or anytime soon. Well said. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's a fantastic perspective. And actually, I'm going to segue off of that to a different topic, but I think it's related. Now, we talk about sales closing, and I'll, I'll preface this a little bit. You know, sales closing sort of has a bad rap, right? Yeah, it's cheesy and it's ham-handed and all these things, and it's just you know sort of icky, I think, to some people. And I'm a big fan of closing, and closing techniques if they're used right. And I think part of what you just talked about is that's the base. They're cheesy and they're bad when you haven't built a relationship, when you haven't led somebody up. And you know, in your most recent book, The Lost Art of Closing you propose the idea of that the close of a sale is actually a series of commitments. And I think that really ties in to, you know, to that base you're creating with that relationship. So tell us more about the idea if I'm interpreting this the same way you do. Yeah, you've got it. Uh, you've got it exactly right. I, what, what's changed in the last, I mean, the, the last good sales books around closing were written over 30 years ago. And it was a very different time. It was a very different economy. And it was written by people whose experiences came out of the 1970s and early 80s. So a lot of things were different. And so there are, are things you know, that you would say, like the alternative of choice clothes. So Adam, I'm going to ask you, is 10 o'clock tomorrow better or, or 2 o'clock on Wednesday? And I made this assumption that you're picking one and I'm making you choose. And that's called the alternative of choice because the the – what you're really doing is committing to a meeting and I'm giving you two times to select from. You don't have a choice that says I'm not meeting with you. It's kind of a, what we would call a tie down. And then there are all kinds of closes like the doorknob close. I have no idea what that even means. You know, I, how would you do that? And, and every closing book has 110 closes that you need to memorize. And it just doesn't make any sense in the world that we live in because we're never going to say, you know, Adam, listen, when Ben Franklin had a tough decision to make, what he would do is get a piece of paper and he would draw a line down the middle and you would be like, how did Ben Franklin come into this conversation? That's just weird. And then, you know, but what we're really doing is the last guy said the same thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys all have the same book? And and it's what's changed is we're actually change agents. We're actually trying to help somebody get better results. So how's that conversation tend to go? And it's not linear, but you are going to have to get a commitment for time. You are going to have to ask somebody to explore the possibilities of generating better results. You're going to have to ask them about, does it make sense to do this kind of a change now? Are we going to be able to get the resources? Can we execute it? Is it the right time? And I am going to collaborate with you on what that looks like. And we are going to need to build consensus. And CEB Gardner says there's 6.8 people in a deal now. And their new research is going to show it's far a far greater number than that. We're going to have to have a commitment about how much money we're going to use to do this kind of thing. 
We're going to review things together. We're going to resolve concerns. And it turns out that when you look at all these little commitments, which some people call micro commitments, I still think they're macro because they're so important. The end close where I ask you for your business is either the easiest thing to do in the world or the most difficult. And if it's difficult, it's because you didn't have the right conversations leading up to that point. And so we didn't collaborate. We don't have consensus. We're not right about the money. And so we show up and we give people something they can say no to. But when we get everything right, it's just a very simple ask to say, uh, Adam and Jeannie, listen, we've done what I think is really good work here. And I believe that we all think that we have this exactly dialed in. Unless you need anything else, I'd like to ask you for your business and see if I can put a contract together for you. I mean, that's it. It's just a very natural conversation to have because that's how you would conclude all the work that we did up into this point. And so The Law Started Closing is um, the first book to actually lay out what all those commitments look like and how they're supposed to sound so you don't come across as uh, smarmy, uh, cheesy, manipulative, and self-oriented. Wow, those are things you do not want to sound like. (laughs) But the evidence but, is to the yeah. contrary. There yeah. are but, people who sound like that. Well, exactly. Because, Anthony, you know this because you obviously have dealt with an amazing array of salespeople. There are people that can use these techniques. And, you know, unless you've been trained on you just don't know they're using them because they're, they're using them in the right time, in the right place, in the right way. Right. Um, and but, yeah, to your to your point, you're getting those incremental uh, what you call them, micro commitments that are really macro commitments. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that keeps coming across is exactly what you talked about with we can't automate certain parts of the experience. We cannot automate the emotion and the connection and the trust. And one of the things we've talked about a lot on this program and elsewhere is how a brand promise is inherently connected to the customer experience. And it's how a customer feels is based on if they feel the experience either lived up to the promise or didn't. Um, that's really what it's about. And salespeople have a certain reputation for over-promising in order to close the deal, let's say, um, which can ultimately lead to this customer disappointment and tension within the organization and everything else. So how do you counsel these salespeople so that they stay within the promises they can keep and why that's so important to the overall customer experience. Well, first of all, whatever you sell, you're accountable for. So you always have to tell the truth and and where salespeople and generally people, uh, regardless of what their profession is, we tend to fear the wrong danger. And, And what happens is a salesperson thinks if I tell the client, no, they can't have this, I'll potentially lose the deal. And, and that's their fear. But the real danger is you tell them that you're going to do something that you can't do. And then you destroy the relationship forever because you've lost integrity and character and the other intangibles that make you somebody worth doing business with. The right thing to do is to say, uh, Jeannie, I'm happy to get you that outcome, but we're going to have to change the investment. It's probably going to cost 15 percent more than what you've been paying right now. Does it make sense to invest that kind of money? Or should we relook at this and decide what the right solution might look like if you have a, a constraint when it comes to being able to make that investment? That's the person that we trust. The person who tells me the truth of the matter is you can't have what you want at that price. You have to pay more to get that. And the person that says, uh, listen, Adam, I appreciate that you're the decision maker here, but I know that you have a partner, Jeannie, and if we don't bring her into this conversation soon, then we're going to be so far in front of her, she's going to resist making this decision with us in the future. 
When does it make sense to bring her into this conversation? That's the person that we trust, the person who's going to tell us the truth about what our results are going to be. And listen, I've lost I've lost multi-million dollar deals, deals by being honest and telling the, the client that they could not have what they wanted. And six months later, to have those clients come back and say, okay, we want to re-engage with you. Everything that we were told was not true. And now we want to figure out what we really have to do to get the result. You're much better positioned if you're going to play the long game. And I think if you're in sales or if you're in any kind of relationship where you have clients, you should play the longest in, of long games. I mean, base the whole relationship on I'm, I'm other oriented and I'm going to be candid and I'm going to do what's right by the client, even if it doesn't serve me now. Because longer term, it's such a better plan. Longer term, I'm going to have relationships for life. And I would rather trade a transaction now for a relationship and then have the relationship uh, go away because I had to have the transaction. If, I, if it takes me six months longer, I'd wait the six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had that same experience. And one of the things that I always kind of prep my clients for is the fact that my job is about hard truths, right? It's about sharing things that they might not want to hear, but it's really important for them to hear. Right. And, um, but I've also found that certain people just don't, they, they want the quick fix. And if they want that, then it's, it's never going to work because they're going to, they're going to invest in a solution that is over promised, or they're going to go down the path of, you know, trying to use a tool that maybe doesn't suit their situation. And so I, uh, I totally believe in what you just said, because it really is about these long term strategies. It's not about the quick fix because then everybody loses in that, right? Like the right. customer and the company selling and everything else. So it's really, really important. And I, I know you talk about it a lot. So keep it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's setting the deal up for success for both parties. You know, I mean, really is because, yeah. And I deal with that with like customer service trainings. I mean, some of the questions I ask up front are all about management and culture. You know, and, and who's leading the team because if the team's being led by somebody who doesn't buy in, the training's not going to do anything. Yeah, and those types of things. So let me ask you, where where do you stand at sort of the natural extension of what you just talked about uh, on the idea of under-promising even? So you're selling, you're trying to sell, tell them everything you can give them, uh, but do, do you try to strategically leave a little room for that uh, over-delivery later? Or does it depend where you're at? I, I don't believe in under-promising uh, and over delivering or over promise and under deliver. I, I think that the root of all relationships is, is trust. And I should be, uh, as accurate as I can to that. And I, I think that the, the thing that I would swap for that is the continuous creation of new value, which means I'm going to promise this and I'm going to deliver it. And then I'm going to find another way to make you a promise to make us go even further down this path together. And then I'm going to deliver that. So I, I try to be as accurate as I can, and I don't want to underpromise, um, knowing that I'm going to be able to to deliver better than that. Just specifically because I always want to just retain my integrity and my honesty in that situation, and and deliver what I promise. Oh, what a great way to look at it! Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to trust that uh, our listeners today got a ton of information because I know <laughs> I did, and I think you. Uh, you really just brought so much to the conversation about sales. And I just love how your lens is all about that integrity and about building those relationships. And I hope everybody takes that to heart because uh, 
because it just makes a better world, you know, like when we actually are fair to one another and trust one another, it just makes a better world. So thank you so much for being here. And and how can people reach out to you and and learn more? Well, you can find me just about anywhere on the Internet, but the best place is thesalesblog.com. And I publish there daily. I'm also running a, a daily YouTube channel through that channel as well. But I'll connect with you on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever else you want to pop up. And the blog is excellent. So if you're not already reading it daily, I would suggest that you do because it's really quality content every single day. So thank you for that. Thank yeah, you so is. much. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff all around. And uh, thanks so much, Anthony. It was great. Well, I hope... All of you had some way to really take notes and apply this to the work that you're doing, share with your sales teams. This is one that I think can go down and serve you for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I love my, one of my favorite takeaways was, you know, don't underpromise, don't overpromise, basically mm -hmm. just promise and then look, look for ways to add value later. And I think that's a really great philosophy. And I, I really like the way you framed that. Yep, exactly. It's all about those commitments and living up to that, which is all about integrity. So it's a great reminder. So thank you to Anthony for being with us today. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of the C-Suite radio family. Check out C-Suite TV for in-depth interviews and business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. It's all on demand at csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me, my book, Be Your Customer's Hero, and our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>